Well, good morning. And welcome to our series called Forgotten Virtues. Uh, in case you don't know me, or you do not recognize me, I am one of the pastors here at Grace, and it is so good to be with you again. Uh, my son and I, Elisha, went down to Brazil for two weeks and had an absolutely amazing missions trip. I'm anxious to share with you some of the good things God did in and through us, and, uh, but that will be in weeks here to come. Uh, but today we're going to focus in on this, this topic of forgotten virtues. And just before we kind of tackle the subject at hand this morning, I do want to give a shout out to the folks who have been doing some of the work on this series, uh, because I knew I'd be away for a couple of weeks. I've kind of pulled together an amazing team of people. It is such a pleasure as a pastor to know that this this desk, this pulpit, this place for speaking for God can be helmed by godly men all over the place. So I just want to give a special thank you to Matt Duransky, uh, who kicked off this series two weeks ago from Second Peter and did an amazing job. I also want to thank Stephen Salvis, who was here last week and spoke into the forgotten virtue of loyalty or faithfulness. I do not know a better man to carry that topic than Steve Salvis, so I just appreciate what he did. If, if you have not been a part of the last couple of weeks and you would like to know what was spoken about, I want to encourage you to go to the church's website, gracewaldorf.org, and down the left-hand side, there's a thing called Messages. Click on Messages. It will open up the last two weeks and give you a chance to hear what those men had to say. It was very, very well done. Uh, heads up, next week, uh, Pastor Brian is going to be here, and he's going to be speaking on the forgotten virtue, and I mean forgotten virtue in our culture today, the forgotten virtue of purity. And so he's going to be here speaking on that topic next week. And then Matt Duransky is coming back for one more engagement on Mother's Day, uh, where he will speak on the topic of honor. Honor your mother and father in the Lord, for this is the first commandment with a promise that it will go well with you if you do. So he's going to speak on that topic in a couple of weeks. Today, however, I have the privilege of being able to speak into one of the virtues that we're looking at, and I have the pleasure of, of speaking into the virtue of compassion. Compassion. Now, our English word compassion actually comes from the Latin, and the word passion in Latin means suffering. How many of you have heard of the Passion Week of Jesus? And you're like, what is that Passion Week all about? Is he really excited about it? Well, I, I think there was a, a desire to get there and to die for the sin of the world. But the word passion actually means suffering. So when you take this word passion and put the prefix com with it, our English word compassion literally means from the Latin to suffer with. To suffer with. We're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. But what I think is best for us right now is to take a minute to pray together, and then we're going to kind of jump into this whole idea of compassion. So if you would just bow your heads with me for a quick moment, let's just go before the throne room. Father, thank you for the bidding to come. Uh, sometimes we wonder if we should, sometimes we don't think we ought, but you said no, come boldly before the throne of grace that we may receive grace and mercy to help us in times of need. And we come in Jesus' name, Father. We come before your throne, a place of grace, 
place of mercy. And oh boy, are we needy people, Father. And we come to you and ask today that you would help us to better understand what it means to follow Jesus. That we might be able to better live out the life of Jesus in and through our lives. And Father, I pray this morning will go a long way in some of our lives to realizing that truth. Bless us with your word. Bless us with the power of the Holy Spirit. And speak into our lives, I pray. I ask this, Father, for your glory in the name of Jesus. And the people of God said, and the people of God said, there we go. I'm going to engage you today. That's just one little thing I'm going to get you engaged on. We're going to have some fun in a few minutes around some other things. Uh, We're talking about forgotten virtues. And you know something I realized is that the word virtue has been forgotten. You just don't ever use that term in our culture anymore. In fact, if you were to go to Google, type in the word virtue, it will immediately give you a definition. If you click on that little arrow below it, click on it, and it will drop down more, it will show you the trends of usage of particular words. The word for virtue was actually at its high point in its heyday in the early 1800s. In that time frame, people talked a lot about virtue. It was in people's writings. It was in books. It was in speeches. So the word virtue was kind of everywhere. But as you watch how it plays out over the course of time, today the word virtue is all but evaporated out of usage. We no longer hardly use the word anymore. And so not only have these values or virtues have been forgotten, but the word virtue in a lot of ways has become forgotten. Virtue, virtue is a positive force of character. Virtue is a positive force of character or a moral excellence, if you will. Biblically speaking, what we're talking about in this series is it it is the progressive transformation of our character, of who we are, of our very being, into that which actively and authentically reflects the life and love of Jesus Christ. That's what we're talking about when we use this term virtue in Christian circles. In fact, the word Christian, we use that term, Christian. The word literally means little Christs, little Christs. We're actually those who live in love like the one we claim to follow. So virtue is one of those words that has kind of gone out of vogue that we're trying to reinvest with biblical truth. It is becoming more and more consistently like Jesus. And virtue is very much a work of God in us. It is a work of God in us who know and love him. And I really appreciated the way Matt Duransky spoke into this topic uh, two weeks ago. And he gave this this little synopsis, and I like this quote. He says, when it comes to the issue of virtue, God is the standard. God is the standard. Be ye holy as I am holy, says the Lord. So God is the gold standard, if you will. Jesus is the model. He was the perfect son of God. He did it perfectly. And so if you want to know what virtues look like, watch the life of Jesus. He lives them out perfectly. Thus, our goal is to become like Jesus, Christ-likeness. And this is enabled by the Holy Spirit's work in us, and it's ultimately for God's glory. That's the ultimate end and purpose for all things. So let me say that real quickly again. The standard is God, Jesus is the model, Christ's likeness is the goal, the Holy Spirit is the enablement, and God's glory is the ultimate purpose. 
purpose. Now the question is this, that's all well and good, but how do you do it? How do we actually make these things become real in our experience? Like last week, Steve spoke about the issue of loyalty or faithfulness. Today, I'm talking about compassion. uh, Next week, it's going to be purity. The next week, it's going to be honor. Those are great words, great terms, great to speak into, but how do you realize it? How do you make it real in our experience? How do we actually take on the character of Christ? Well, I love the way that it is put... um, in, in 2 Peter chapter 1. Notice, notice what happens here. In 2 Peter chapter 1 in verse 3, Matt went over these a couple of weeks ago, so you don't have to turn there, but I want you to hear what it says. It says this, His divine power has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness. And he goes on to say this, We have been, been made partakers of the divine nature. So when it comes to this whole concept of how do we become like Jesus, the first thing we need to understand is that virtue is very much the work of God in us, but not apart from us. But not apart from us. Because alongside those wonderful truths, partakers of the divine nature, God's power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness, it also says this, make every effort. And then it goes on to say this. It says, be diligent. And then it goes on to say this, practice these qualities and you will never fail. So there is a divine component where God is doing this, but there's a human side where we must do this. And so there's this unique blend of God and us working, if you will, together to cooperate with what God is doing in our lives to become more like Jesus. The Apostle Paul put it like this. That was Peter. Here is Paul. Notice what Paul says. Paul says this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. This is from the New Living Translation. It's a little more wordy than the ESV, but I like the way it fleshes it out. Notice what he says. Work hard! Now, in the Greek, I want you to understand what the words mean there is this. Work hard! It means what it means. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, not for your salvation. Jesus did it all when he died on the cross. We don't work for our salvation. However, once we do know Jesus, we now work out the salvation that he has done for us. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Notice, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Work hard, because God's working in you. He's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Now make every effort. Um, we've been made partakers of the divine nature. Now be diligent. So what I'm trying to say is this. If we're going to realize these qualities in our lives in a growing way, then there's something that we do in cooperation with God to realize these things in our experience. And so in a very real way, God is at work in us, but not apart from us in bringing the transformation of our character about The process requires our thoughtful engagement, our active choices in doing good and right for the sake of others, especially when it does not come naturally to us or when, quite frankly, we just don't feel like it. And so this is an important component. Uh, One gentleman who wrote at length about this that I really appreciate is a man by the name of N.T. Wright. Uh, Mr. Wright is, is a reverend from England. He is a British New Testament scholar. 
And last year, when I had, was recuperating from surgery, I had about a month off, one of the books that I read was his book called After You Believe, Why Christian Character Matters. Well, wait a minute. Uh, I know Jesus. I believe. I'm going to heaven. Isn't that it? No! That's just the beginning of it. He's now saved us that we might become like Christ. And so, yes, Christian character really matters. Excellent read. If you want to purchase it and read it, I'd highly recommend it. But one of the things he goes on to say, now, this is actually him speaking in New York City prior to the release of the book. So he's actually speaking about some of the issues that the book contains. I'd like you to listen to what he has to say, because I think it really picks up on our part in this thing of becoming like Jesus. So take just a few moments, consider what he has to say, because I think it's quite good. Aristotle had this vision of what it meant to be genuinely human. He had in mind statesmen. We needed to train up statesmen. They were always men to lead the, the, the city, the polis, for the next generation. And we needed to train up warriors, leaders who would run the army, who would be the great generals, who would have strategy built into them so that they could lead the people in a successful campaign. And Aristotle had this vision of what this fine, upstanding man, usually an individual, would look like. And he saw, just as you might say with an athlete or a musician, that if you're going to be that sort of person, there are certain muscles you need to train, certain habits that need to become second nature. These are the strengths, not of body, but of mind, of character. And Aristotle had that goal in Greek, telos. That's where we want to get. Here are the steps you need to take to get to it. So Aristotle listed the virtues, courage, justice, temperance, prudence, and several others that cluster around, but those are the four big ones. He called them the cardinal virtues. Cardinal means they're the hinge on which human life turns. So he urged people to inculcate these virtues, to recognize the strengths of character that they needed to develop and work on doing so. Because human life doesn't just coast along. You become what you habitually do. Or conversely, what you habitually do, you become. But the difference between virtues and vices is this. Anybody can learn a vice. All you have to do is to go into neutral. and Slide along with the way stuff is going. And before too long, certain habits of life will have you in their grip. It's a vice in that sense. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to try. It'll happen. But virtue, you have to think about it. You have to say, I need to take a decision to be this sort of person now. And the whole Western Protestant tradition has said, oh, that's so inauthentic. That's just putting it on. That's just hypocrisy. Luther said that virtue in the Catholic teaching he knew was just hypocrisy, pretending to be something you weren't. What would Aristotle have said? Aristotle might have taken a virtue like courage, I heard a sermon on this a while ago, which was one of the things that set me off on this particular train of thought. Courage is not what happens when somebody about to go into battle takes a very strong drink of something um, uh, which will fire them up and then goes charging off into the field of battle, waving their sword around them, shouting some awful war. That's not courage. That's second cousin to folly, I suspect. You may survive, you may kill a few people, but it isn't. Courage is what happens when you take a thousand small decisions consciously thought out 
to put somebody else's safety ahead of your own. So that then on the thousand and first occasion, when somebody has just thrown a hand grenade into the middle of a group of your friends, you will unhesitatingly and instinctively, by second nature, go and grab it and throw it away or throw yourself on it or whatever it is, putting the other people's safety before. Nobody does that by nature. Some people, thank God, do it by second nature. Second nature is what happens when you front-loaded the moral thinking. I choose to be this today, and I will choose to be this tomorrow. And it's very hard. But then the character is formed. And then it can really happen. I like what he says there. I choose today to be this sort of a person. And then tomorrow I choose, and then I choose again. And what is the, uh, the result of a thousand little choices is that I end up inculcating, I end up owning and becoming the character that I am seeking to develop. Now, that's a work of God in us, but we, we work with God in this process. We work hard, as Paul said, work out your salvation. And so I like that statement that he gave. Virtue is what happens when somebody has made a thousand small choices requiring effort and concentration to do something which is good and right, but which doesn't come naturally or easily. And then on the 1,000th and first time, when it really matters, they find that they do what's required automatically. Virtue is what happens when wise, courageous choices become second nature. That's what we're talking about. That's how you become like Jesus. It doesn't just happen. I think God gives us the desire, God gives us the enablement, but then we have to step into it, and we have to choose to be a specific kind of a person. And over the course of time, we end up becoming that kind of a person. Now, we're talking about the issue of compassion. Some of us, that comes far more easily than others. Some of us are just terribly selfish. And when it comes to somebody else's need, we're like, no way, I'm too busy with me. I don't know about you, but by nature, I am not compassionate. By nature, I tend to be rather selfish, and I tend to weigh involvement in other people's specific hardships by what's it going to cost me. Am I the only one like that in this auditorium this morning? I, apparently, I am. Oh, there's three more. Okay, I'm glad to see a few more folks are joining in. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. You see, by nature, most of us are not compassionate. Well, how do we get there? If the goal is to be like Christ, how do we get there? We're going to talk about that in just these next few moments. I have a lot to do in a short period of time, and we're going to do it all in a short period of time. In the next few moments, I want to give you a definition for compassion that will help us move forward. I then want to show you Jesus, the ultimate model of compassion, and how he actually did it. Then I want to give you a couple of teachings that Jesus gave concerning the issue of compassion. Then I want to give you a tool a device that you can use in a daily way to challenge yourself to make that 100th, 2,000th choice to be compassionate. And then I want to give you an offer, an offer to be compassionate for somebody who has great need. Ready? Here we go. All right. We're talking about the issue of compassion. Now, compassion, when you use the Latin, means to suffer with. So compassion is not simply empathy. 
It's not feeling bad for those who hurt. But compassion is, is to come alongside, and it literally walks with someone through their struggle and pain. So in a very real way, compassion is, if you will, love in action. Compassion is love in action. Say that with me. Compassion is love in action. Compassion is... That's what compassion is. Compassion is not merely pity or sympathy. Those are merely feelings. But compassion actually does something. It actually engages and seeks to alleviate problems and suffering by by being a part of the solution. That is what compassion is. Now, what I'm going to do is we're actually going to talk about how Jesus did this. Jesus is the perfect son of God. He is the perfect model of what compassion looks like. So we're going to actually walk through a few verses of scripture here where Jesus does that. Now, what I need for you to do is I need for you to help me talk about compassion. Now, the, the Latin is to, to suffer with. But in the Greek, which is the language of the New Testament, it's a very different word. It has a very different meaning. And it's, it's an awesome word because the word in the original language actually tells you what's happening. So let me give you the word, and then I'm going to ask you to help me do this. So here is the word in the original language. It is the word splagats. Needs of mine. Splagats. Needs of mine. The word splagats literally means the convulsing of the bowels and of the intestines. That's what it means. Have you ever heard this expression? That was a gut wrenching experience. I saw something and I was so deeply moved. I almost felt nauseous in witnessing this. This is the word the Bible uses in the Newer Testament for the word compassion. Splagats! Needs am I. Okay. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk through some places where Jesus shows compassion. But I need your help. Because every time I come to the word compassion, I'm going to go like this to you. And you're going to go, Splagats! Needs am I. Okay, let me give you the English equivalent so it might help you. Is that helpful or what? Okay, okay. Now I'm going to have you practice a couple of times, then we'll walk through these scriptures. Here we go. The word again is, say it with me, splagats needs am I. Okay, one more time. Splagats needs am I. Yes, it, 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 is, it is deeply moved. It is, it is overwrought. It, it is feeling deep need. That's the word. Now let's see how Jesus does this. Here we go. I'm going to read through a couple of places where this word is actually uh, said of Jesus, and then you're going to help me. I'm going to go like this, and you're going to say that. Here, let's try it. You guys are better than the first service. No, I'm just kidding. You did really awesome. You did really awesome. Okay, here we go. So this is Jesus being compassionate. Mark chapter 6 and verse 34, it says this, And then when he, Jesus, went ashore, he saw a great crowd. Now he steps out of the Sea of Galilee into the Sea of Humanity, and it said that he had... He was deeply moved. He was overwrought because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things and heal their sick. You see, true biblical compassion doesn't just get deeply moved, doesn't just have a gut-wrenching experience. It has to do something to help. 
It has to alleviate suffering. It has to meet needs. This is Jesus. Okay, Matthew 15, verse 32. Here is it, it again. There are large crowds following Jesus, and it says, Jesus called his disciples to him, and he said, I have... Oh, I'm overwrought for these people. They have already been with me for three days, and they've had nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry, or they may collapse on the way. And so Jesus is looking at this massive humanity, and they look faint, and he's been teaching and teaching and teaching. And so this is where the feeding of the 4,000 comes in. 5,000's got better play, but 4,000 happened as well. And so Jesus feeds them. So he was moved by their need, and then he met the need. Okay, here we go. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 34. We have two blind beggars coming up to Jesus. And it says this, and Jesus had on them, and he touched their eyes. Immediately, they received their sight, and they followed him. This is the living Son of God. He sees a need. It moves him within, and he reaches out, and he meets that need. This is what the biblical word compassion means. Here we go. Let me give you one more. Actually, two more. Mark chapter 1 and verse 41. What we have here is a man in the final stages of leprosy. Uh, He, according to the law of Moses, is supposed to yell, unclean, unclean, stay away from me, I've got leprosy. But when he sees Jesus, he comes running to Jesus. He falls down at Jesus' feet. In Luke, it says he's worshiping Jesus. And he says, if you will, you can make me clean. Instead of saying, unclean, unclean, stay away, he ran to Jesus and said, you can make me clean. And so the Bible says this in Mark chapter 1 and verse 41. It says, and Jesus was filled with... And he reached out his hand. He touched the man's flesh. He said, I am willing, be clean. This is the biblical word. This is Jesus showing us what happens. One more. Uh, Luke chapter 7, verses 13 through 15. Jesus raises a widow's son from the dead. It goes on to say this. And when Jesus saw the mother, his heart went Oh, you got to come on, let's do, do better. This is like the last opportunity. I really want you to get it. Here we go. Everybody together. Oh, I'm overwrought for this poor woman's plight. I can't believe it's her only son, and sons are so valuable, and he's dead. So the Bible says that Jesus came alongside, touched the, the pyre. The people stopped. He reached down, grabbed the son's hand. The son sat up, started talking, and he gave the son back to his mother. Compassion sees real need and is not only deeply moved by that need but is deeply moved to do something to alleviate the problem this is the biblical word this is not easy for some of you it comes far more naturally than it does for some of us but in just a minute we're going to talk about how to get there how to get there but before we do i want to share with you just two quick teachings of jesus where he actually chooses to use this word to, to, to describe a couple of situations. One of those situations is in the response of the Good Samaritan to the man who had been beaten and robbed. It says that he came along and he saw the man, and when he saw the man, he had on him. Now, Jesus is just telling a story, and Jesus is using this word, and he's positioning it very carefully before the people who are listening. And as a result, 
of the Good Samaritan's heart going out to this man. What he did is this. He went to him. He bound up his wounds. He poured on wine. He set him on the donkey. He brought him to the inn. He took care of him, and he gave the innkeeper money. You see, it is love in action. It is actually doing something to alleviate suffering and need. And the second time where Jesus uses this word is in the father's response to the return of the prodigal son. Said the father was sitting there, and on the horizon he saw his son coming, and it said that he became, oh my gosh, it's my boy. He's been away from home for so long. And he did something that no Hebrew dad would do. He hiked up his skirt, and he got running after his son. He threw his arms around him. He fell on him. He kissed him. He put the best robe on him. He put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And he said, let's kill the best calf, and let's throw a party, because my son who is dead is now home. Jesus chose to use splagatsnizomai in those two illustrations, two of the greatest stories we know of compassion. Compassion is love in action. Jesus modeled it. Jesus taught about it. But how do we do it? I'm going to give you what I believe to be the best piece of advice, the little device, a little tool for you to use to make this real in your experience. It is a conscious decision to inculcate certain virtues. We're talking about compassion. How do I make a conscious decision to grow in compassion? And thus, on the 1,000th and one time, I don't even think about it anymore. I just do it. I have now embodied compassion. How do we do that? Let me give you this little device. This will help you if you're willing to use it. And it is simply this statement. Think to yourself these words as you move through your day. What does love require of me? Husbands, you want to make your marriage better? When your wife comes to you in need, the first thing you say to yourself in your heart of hearts, in your head, is what does love require of me? And if you act on what you know that answer to be, you will grow in compassion. Ladies, likewise. As your husbands come and they have needs or are needy and your response is whatever, no. What does love require of me? And if you respond to what you know to be the answer to that question, you will begin to develop and grow in this area of compassion. Parents with children... It's easy to say, just get out of here, do your own thing. I'm not there. What does love require of me? And as you step into what you know the answer to be, you will discover that that's one of those 1,001 choices you make along the way that begins to develop this into your character and make you more like the person of Jesus Christ. Imagine the difference homes would be in if The husband, the wife, ask themselves this question all the time. I've discovered that as I'm driving down the road now, I'm I'm pre-thinking this. All right, if I come across a car that's broken down, what does love require me? I'm going to stop. I'm going to do something. I'm going to help. 
You know, before I just kind of buzz by saying, oh, they got a cell phone, they can call for help. No, 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 I, I really see, so this is, this is causing me to think in ways that, quite frankly, like I haven't chosen to think of in the past. And it's been very challenging for me. And, you know, again, in relationship to my wife and my kids, I'm asking myself this question repeatedly. And I'm discovering that, you know what, I think I know in most situations what love requires. Am I willing to do it? And in doing it, I now become inculcating the character trait of compassion. Think what your workplace would look like if people at work were to say, what does love require of me? So I want to give you this little tool. That's all it is. The choice is up to you to use it or not and then to respond with whatever the answer is. But if you do, I promise you, you will begin to develop the character trait of compassion and you will start to look more and more like your Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, so there's the definition, those are the examples, there's the teaching, and there's the tool. Now I'm going to give you an opportunity. I'm going to give you an opportunity today to be deeply moved to loving action on behalf of some boys and girls who are in great need I want to give you a chance to practice the virtue of compassion and grow in this wonderful character trait of being a Jesus follower. And today just so happens to be, of all days, Compassion Sunday. Today is Compassion International Sunday all across America and elsewhere. Thousands of churches are hosting today the opportunity for people to engage and help children in need. How many of you are familiar with compassion? Good, good. A number of you are. Maybe some of you aren't. Maybe this is all new for some of you. Maybe some of you already have children. My wife and I do. We're in that situation. Uh, But maybe you've had them in the past, and you know what? They've grown up and moved on, but you've never reinvested. I want to encourage you to consider reinvesting because the needs for children are stunning. I mean, I just came out of some villages that were a 10-hour boat trip down from a city in the Amazon, and there was crying need, literally crying need all around us. It was heart-wrenching. But Compassion International gives us a few statistics just to help put things in perspective. And so they give this statistic. It says, poverty is is devastating the lives of precious children every single day. Today, Look at that first bullet point. Did you have any idea? Today, 19,000 children will die from poverty-related causes. Today, and then again tomorrow, and then again the next day, and so on and so forth. You know, that's a little mind-numbing, unless you can kind of get a little contextual around it. It's hard to even put that number in perspective. Think of it this way. I was just kind of doing a, a little figuring. Waldorf's population is 70,000 roughly. And you're thinking, yes, and they all drive on 301 at 5 o'clock when I'm going down the, the road there. Yeah, there's 70,000 people there. But think of it this way. If this were true in Waldorf, by Wednesday this week, there would be no one left in Waldorf. Whoa. That's a lot of people in just three days. Think of it this way. What if 139 Southwest Airlines Boeing 737-300 series planes crashed today? Oh, my gosh. Planes are falling out of the sky. 
Everybody's dead. Nobody will survive. That's horrible. 139 planes just like that. Let me ask you, do you think CNN would interrupt its normal coverage? Would Fox interrupt its normal coverage to say, oh my gosh, the sky is falling, or at least planes are falling out of it. 139 planes went down, all dead on board. That's about that number. But these kids are nobodies. And they live in off-scouring places on the earth. Nobody knows who they are. Their last names are not Kardashian. They're nobody famous. They're nobody powerful. They're just children. Children who are born and who die with hardly anyone noticing many times. So this staggering figure lies in front of us. 19,000 children will die today without aid or help. Uh, Due to the lack of clean water, malaria, malnutrition, and war, these things take little children away. 640 million of them have no adequate shelter, which means they are in the elements. They have no protection. Uh, They have nothing to ultimately protect them from either the elements or predators. 67 million children between ages 5 and 11 won't attend school. 67 million. That means there's no pathway for them out of poverty. Education aids in that. But most of these kids will live in it and grow up in it and die in it and probably have children in it as well. So it's trying to break the cycle of poverty, and it's very hard. This is where compassion comes in. What a great name for an organization. What does compassion mean? How quickly we forget. <laughs> it is, that's right, love and action. Well said. It is a gut-wrenching reality of the statistics, but doing something about it. That's Compassion International. They're making a difference. They are willing to suffer with. They are willing to do love in action for the name of Jesus Christ. And so what Compassion does is this. They come alongside very needy children, and they bring them hope. And they try to seek to honor the Father's desire in the lives of people by showing compassion. And they come alongside people like us, and they encourage us to do the same. Get involved. There's a dying need, literally, and there's ways that we can assist and help in this great need. And so they begin by asking us to begin to partner with them, to work with them. And what they ask in order to work in these children's lives is simply this, to invest $38 a month in sponsoring a child, $38 a month, just over a dollar a day, about a handful of drinks from Starbucks. Ouch, that one hurt. $38. And with $38 a day, what they do is this. They give the children medical checkups, which often will save some of these kids' lives. They give them nutritious food. They give them health and hygiene training. They will give them educational assistance. They will assess the uh, services they need, like surgeries and disaster relief. They offer mentoring to help children discover their incredible value as God's children. And one of the things I like best about compassion is that they are all about Jesus. This is who they are at the core, and their goal is to relate who Jesus Christ is to every single one of these children. And they will often work in and through local churches to connect families so that they likewise can know Christ. Over the last 12 months, 122,588 moms and children 
have made decisions to follow Jesus Christ with their life. Can you say amen? That's an amen kind of a thing. 122,588 people have made decisions to follow Christ. This is the organization. I, I can't say enough good about the organization. Um, quite frankly, what they do is help, they help each child uh, to have just one sponsor. And so my wife and I, along with Elisha, have been sponsoring children through uh, Compassion for some years now. They actually make a wonderful application for your phone. And so here we have Ashley, who comes from Honduras. Uh, there's a full bio of her. We can text her or write a letter to her, and it'll be translated into Spanish for her. And it tells me right now that where she lives, it's 75.7 degrees, and it's partly cloudy. Isn't that awesome? And uh, she's 10 years old, and it tells me about her, her progress in, in school and all these matters. Uh, I, we can also go back, and so we have Ashley in Honduras, and we have Ryan in the Philippines. And Ryan's parents are out of the picture. His grandfather and grandmother are raising them on $1 a day. That's what they make. And so there's opportunities to have these relationships with the children where you can actually converse with them, track them, and, and encourage them as they, as they grow up. And so you get to know the child through letters and photos and apps. Uh, you help your child feel loved and valued. And so what, again, I really appreciate is that they help each child learn who Jesus Christ is, and then they also come alongside with education, health, social skills, and more. The goal is this, that they will help a child develop the skills and knowledge and the belief, the hope, that they can escape poverty forever. And it's almost inescapable because it's all they know. And so it's a wonderful, wonderful organization. And so... What I want to encourage you to do today as we talk about the topic of compassion is this. To consider sponsoring a child through Compassion International. And right now, in the back of the sanctuary, we had 25 children from every corner of the globe. Uh, the last service, they took 11 of those children away. So you lost 11 opportunities with those kids. But there's plenty of opportunities left. In fact, let me encourage Steve. Steve Cox, come on up here, Steve, and uh, share with us about the opportunities there are online and how you met your children. If you go to Compassion International's website, you're going to see kids that are available for sponsoring. And uh, they've got 20 kids per page. And if you notice down at the bottom here, page one of 479. Those kids uh, in the back and other churches doing this today are not on that list. So you can see that that list would be much longer if all of the kids involved were there. The uh, radio station I listened to had a uh, sponsorship drive. And where I'd not taken the nudge to go look into the compassion I did that day I thought what could it hurt to just look famous last so, words by the yeah. way <laughs> so I, I, I see these pages and I'm flipping through them I'm flipping through them and then Urelli pops up and I think there's something about her that just grabbed my heart I thought nope I'm going to keep looking and after a while I said God if you want me to sponsor a child I was going to name a daughter Karen if I had one. So show me a Karen. Middle of the next page. Karen. 
So, you know, I filled out the paperwork, and the more I thought about it, the more I thought, I can't leave your rally behind. So I ended up sponsoring both of them. Amen. Amen. Get updated pictures. This is the latest one of your rally and the last letter that she sent me uh, and the picture that she drew for me. The latest picture of Karen. And I love this drawing. She has the sun peeking through the hills. It really brightened my day when I got that letter. Amen. And I wrote back and told her so. So I've done this a couple of years now. And uh, I look forward to those letters. I really get a Amen. big smile on my face when I see one in the mailbox. Amen. Amen. Steve, I'll take this. You know, the funny thing is, is Steve came to me a few months back. And he said, you know, Pastor Bill, Compassion International is coming up. And it's really blessed my life. I really would love it if we could highlight it or promo it in one of our services. And I said, Steve, we'll see what we can do. I forgot all about it planned out this series and put, the, and put compassion on this Sunday without thinking about it. And he came back to me and said, you know, Pastor Bill, Compassion International happens to fall on April the 26th. I said, really? It's funny. That's the day we're talking about. Ah, yeah. Love in action. What does love require of me? A great phrase if you want to grow in compassion. I don't know what God may be saying to you about some of these children in the back. Every one of them is worthy of being loved and supported. Um, but I pray that God would let you pray about this. I actually talked with somebody this morning, first service, after the first service. I just have to share this with you because God knows what he's doing. Amen. This woman, who is a nurse by trade, had a very vivid dream last night that she was in a war area and she had picked up a young child and had treated this child's injuries and she was holding this child out for a parent and there were no parents around anywhere. And she held this child to her and somebody says, you'll have to watch out for her. She said, when I woke up, she goes, it was like I had lived it. She said she walked in here today and she saw what we were doing and she's like, oh my Lord. You're obviously working in my heart. So she's going to go online and find a child that God has picked for her to choose to sponsor. You know, God does these things. Maybe he's been preparing you for this. I hope so. I'm going to close uh, with this girl's story. And then when it's over with, I'm just going to step up and pray. We'll be done. But I'd like you to see how this works. And maybe you can connect with this young girl. By the way, she is in Honduras uh, where our young Ashley is. So this made it very meaningful for me. Consider this. My name is Kaylin Carolina Rodriguez. I'm nine years old. I live in this house with my mom and dad and my two sisters. My mom gets sick a lot. It makes me sad and I cry for her. I pray for her because I want her to feel better. We often don't have enough money for food and life is hard. I do get sick a lot and I worry what will happen to my children if I got really ill. Kaylin tells me, Mama, keep going. I want her to have a different life, not to live like this. 
Kaylin's story is one we see again and again in this community. Poverty is extreme here, and it is the children who suffer most. And so, when we reach out to a child like Kaylin through our compassion program here at the church, it is really about changing a child's life, giving a child love, hope, and the things they need to learn and grow. I've asked my mom why I've been waiting a long time and still don't have a sponsor. If I had a sponsor, I had them and tell them I love them. The first time I saw Kaylin's picture, something about her just drew me in, realizing that here's a real child with a name and a family and that I can get involved in that and change that story for her. To a child in poverty, having a sponsor sends a message that it's truly life-changing. It says, you are known, your life matters, you are valued and loved. I think Kaylin's major challenge would be feeling like she's worth anything. One of the worst things about poverty is that it just it steals from kids the one thing that God wants to bless them with so much of, and that's hope. So... The fact that she's lived to the age of 10 in a hopeless situation is just, it's not right. And so I'm so excited that her life is about to change. Kaylin has been coming to the church for over a year without a sponsor. I know she has been praying for one, and today it is my great joy to give her the good news. God has answered her prayers. I think Kaylin would be just overjoyed to be able to share that news finally with her family. I would imagine it would be a very joyful time. As Kaylin grows up through the Compassion Child Development Project, it'll change the way she sees everything. She will have confidence. She'll have, hopefully, a relationship with Jesus. I think she'll be crying some happy tears. There's no doubt that while none of us can change the entire world, we can each change the world for one child in need. And there are children who need us. There's a child who needs you. So I would encourage everyone to rush out to that sponsorship table and look at those kids and find the one that needs you, because one of them does. Virtue of compassion. What does love require of me? Let us let me pray for us. Father, we asked at the beginning that you would help us to become more like Jesus.